FM. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. With a Monday upon us, we are taking a look at some markets that saw some negativity going on in the soybeans. It was mixed for the corn, but higher on the wheat complex. We flipped the page, and there was some nice green on the screen, at least for the live cattle, mixed on those feeders and higher on the hogs. So in a nutshell, uh, looking at a variety of different things, but not a lot of news that's going on to really excite these markets. The big question is, did the soybeans see that jump? maybe a little bit too quick, a little bit of knee-jerk reaction after the acreage report. With crude down and weather bullish for corn, lots of factors that are going to feed in to what we're going to see in these markets over the next couple of days. Sam Hudson joins us today. He is with Corn Belt Marketing. So let's start out with really not a lot of news going on. For a Monday, I hate to use the word, but it has been kind of a quiet one. It was, I would say, the most noteworthy thing we did get today was the second Monday in a row. Uh, we saw another corn sale to China. Uh, I think the trade was a little more surprised last week, caught off guard, uh, coming out of the acreage data. And, uh, you know, I think it, it continues to support the sentiment uh, on our export program as we go into the spring and summer months and as we consider what the rest of the world's going to do to fill some of the supplies that would normally come out of Ukraine. So, uh, you know, will we continue to see those? Is that just the, you know, the beginning of, of a trend here or are they just, um, you know, trying to get ahead of any problems that we may have? in the spring here with this weather continuing to look cool and wet. And I think that's probably going to be one of the major factors as we come out of this Easter holiday. Well, you look at that, and obviously this is a shortened trading week because markets are closed on Friday for Good Friday. So are we trying to cram uh, an extra day into what we see in the trade this week? I think so, and no one wants to get caught, uh, you know, one side or the other, especially going into a, into a three-day weekend like that. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is corn market is going to be in tune to, at least for the short term. Uh, obviously, the Ukrainian situation is still going to be going on in the background, but if we can assume that that just remains static uh, and we don't have a quick solution there, then, uh, you know, the temperatures, I think, are probably the biggest factor here for the Midwest over the next uh, several weeks. It looks like you get west of the Missouri River, uh, western plains, I think they're going to have plenty of opportunity to get some planting done, uh, but they need the rain as much as anybody. And, you know, 70 degree temperatures here during the day look uh, pretty pretty slim and few and far between, at least for the next 10 days. Well, we've got the planning uh, progress report, the weekly crop progress report will come out this afternoon. We know that work's already underway in the south and Kansas has started to pick up on a little bit of corn planting. But for the rest of it, everybody is, like you said, just waiting on something to happen weather wise. And that includes some moisture. That's right. You know, and, and it's been just a tale of two worlds here. Uh, you get used to the Missouri River and especially east of the Mississippi, um, just been regular here over the last, uh, call it, you know, 45 days. And we haven't been drowned out. Fortunately, we haven't seen any flooding or anything around here. Um, we've probably had, you know, three to three and a half inches of rain here over the last three weeks. So it, that's really good. And if we can get a 70 degree temperature, it'll dry out pretty quick. Actually, today, after uh, a weekend of some sunshine and some wind, uh, we've actually got some field cultivators locally here out working. Um, but until we get those soil temperatures up here up in the next couple weeks, I don't think anyone's going to get real excited. Uh, so far, the only thing we've heard of locally would be uh, a few early soybeans. And as you mentioned, uh, plenty more work going on uh, in places like uh, Oklahoma and, and Kansas where they've been dry enough to get in the field. Would you call this weather, though, bullish for the corn at this point? It's still still a little early to just, you know, to, to bang that drum real hard. I think the USDA has baked some of this in already with a low acreage number, and I think most of the trade thinks that that number could be a little bit low. But if you confirm this sort of a weather pattern, it's going to look a lot more realistic, and that that's true for the soybeans, too. You know, when those numbers came out, it was kind of a flip-flop of what the trade was expecting, but you throw this type of a forecast in there, and it looks a lot more realistic, whether you believe it or not. So did we jump the gun a little bit early with these soybeans? I mean, we saw some big numbers after that acreage report came out. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, the trade's trying to grapple with that. We've seen a lot of movement in these spreads, both between corn and beans, old crop, new crop. Um, you know, the fact that the Ukrainian situation doesn't really trickle into soybeans outside of the future acreage uh, needs, you know, trade's looking at that and thinking it's probably a pretty good chance that, uh, you know, we're going to see, you know, bean acres grow here over the next year or so. When you look at input costs, um, I, I think the data, you know, a couple weeks ago from USDA maybe suggests that they're sandbagging those numbers to get ahead of that problem because no matter what, you know, guys were a little nervous playing, you know, seven, eight hundred bucks a ton on anhydrous here last fall. Uh, when you stick numbers like 12 to 1500 plus in front of them here this fall, uh, I think a lot more people will start backing away unless it's definitely on that highly productive ground. So in that sense, uh, you know, I think, you know, long term, big picture, that's something to, to consider here. And, but the first, uh, you know, the first challenge is going to be getting the southern hemisphere in the field and seeing how this fertilizer market's all going to shake out here over the next six months. A lot of things that we're going to have to kind of keep an eye on. But is it going to come down to just really producers not only obviously watching their input costs, but watching what the new crop's doing uh, and trying to hedge on deciding what they're going to do with those crops? Watching the new crop prices, but also just the, the production. I mean, once you get a crop emerging out of the ground, it's a lot, uh, you know, a lot more peace of mind in terms of, of you know, setting out uh, a little bit further on your marketing plan. And I think the markets in general just need more time to figure that out, uh, and that probably happens here over the next thirty days. What about the weekly export inspections? Anything exciting that's been going on that, or has it just kind of been as Juan described it as range bound? Yeah, I would say, you know, pretty slow and steady, uneventful. But when you look at where prices are, I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, if, uh, you know, we were standing here, you know, eight months ago saying, hey, where do you think export inspections could be on a weekly basis if price was X, Y, or Z? You know, it might be tough to believe that. So the, just the sheer fact that, you know, we've been able to keep those numbers steady as price has risen, I think is pretty impressive. Uh, and I think it really boasts that we're going to stay in that posture here until we get through this spring time frame uh, and the world kind of gets a sense of what we're going to be able to produce and if they can wait to buy it or not. A lot of folks last week were talking about the, the war in Ukraine as it continues to to ebb and flow with, with attacks. It's been quiet uh, today in discussions. Do you see that being a market influence uh, for the rest of this week? To a certain degree in the sense that I think you're going to put a little bit more focus and whether, you you know, that's maybe a little unfortunate to, to be quite honest, but I think you're going to put a little bit more focus finally back into our weather. But that doesn't mean, you know, what's going on over there has stopped. Uh, and, you know, once again, that's kind of an unfortunate situation. You hate to see, you know, this happen on the backs of... Uh, you know, so many over there that are going through what they're going through, but at the end of the day, it is what it is, and, uh, and you kind of have to figure out, you know, where the, where everything's going to fall here over the next three to six months, and what could really make it tumultuous is both of these things could kind of play out uh, really at the same time. All right, well, stick around, folks. We've got a lot more coming up as we continue with the second half of the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. At Fontenelle Hybrids, people and products make the difference. Here's Fontenelle dealer Brandon Novak from St. Paul, Nebraska. Fontenelle offers a strong product lineup through their soybeans and through their corn. Working with the people of Fontenelle have made things a lot easier just because I have a sense of security and knowing that the products that I choose will be the right products for my farm with the help of our knowledgeable agronomists and FSRs. For more, contact your local dealer or go to Fontenelle.com. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label. RVM. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing our conversation with Sam Hudson with Corn Belt Marketing. So we were talking about crops and and where we're sitting at this point. I wanted to talk a little bit about ethanol margins. I know that they're still kind of tight at this point. What are you hearing out there in the countryside, at least in the near term, for these ethanol numbers? 
Well, the, the tailwind they've continued to have is the fact that, uh, you know, this, this fuel recovery in general has continued to push uh, crude and, and, and the prices of gasoline uh, just the same higher. And as long as that's happening, it's really tough to get away from the ethanol side of things. Um, still a lot of debate uh, and discussion going on about whether or not we can get E15 going here year-round and, what you know, how much demand that will really stimulate. I'm not sure. Um, but I think just to having, uh, you know, those blend stocks available uh, it puts the Biden administration in, in kind of in a corner. I mean, it's hard to really gut the RFS. We did see uh, some decision or maybe indecision, I guess, on these small refinery exemptions here last week, basically saying that, um, you know, those companies, although, you know, they are going to be held to the RFS, they don't, tip, you know, they don't have to buy the RINs now. And so seeing them make some of these longer-term, bigger-picture moves to try to spread this thing out is interesting. Um, but obviously, they're in a pickle. And as long as the gasoline prices remain this way, I think ethanol is going to continue to have a floor put under it here as we go into the summertime. If anything changes politically, obviously, that, that can change wind. Um, but at this point, the only you know outside factor that could potentially come in and, and, and cause a big problem with that uh, would be if, if COVID blew up again. And we're starting to hear about these lockdowns in Shanghai. Um, you know, let's keep an eye on what that news looks like here by the end of the week. Uh, if it's just a scare, if it's going to be something that, uh, that, that creates traction and, and we're going to have to deal with over again. Well, we did see, um, as you and I talked before the program, crude oil has continued to be down today, down about $4 a barrel. Is that going to be a helping factor for these ethanol margins? It, it won't be for the short term, um, but when you look at you know feed values and everything and what they're able to sell on the product side, I think the DDGs are, are, aren't going to be cheap either when you look at uh, the fact there's no grass out west. So it, really things requiring on all cylinders if they could be for right now, uh, as long as you avoid that kind of worst case scenario from a fuel standpoint, we should still have pretty solid footing. I think where things get a little bit dicier is, is going to be after September 1st and into next year. And once again, going back to the politics of everything, how they handle and enforce this uh, is a big deal long term in terms of you know what demand has to be digested by the market all right let's talk those ddgs from a livestock perspective because we know feedstuffs are tight and feedstuffs are expensive that's going to put some more pressure on both cattle and the hog trade it certainly will. And when you look at how fast we've been killing animals here for the first quarter of the year, uh, a bit concerning in terms of what we're going to have for inventories. But, you know, again, you're kind of in a conundrum where when you look at beef prices, where they're at, uh, certainly going to have a little bit of enthusiasm, a little bit of support uh, for that trade as we go into the spring and summer months and grilling months. But what are people really going to be willing to pay and where are these prices going to be this summer? So you know, that price rally and, and inflation is, is coming at the same time that all these high costs are hitting people and just a little too early to figure out which one's going to win out first. And we talked a little bit about this uh, last week during the Fontenelle final bell was the fact that we're still hearing reports out of uh, Oklahoma, Kansas, and now I'm hearing uh, this coming out of uh, the northern states as well. We're seeing a lot more cows headed to market because of those feedstuff concerns. Yep, that's right. And, and you know, when you when you pull all those cows off of grass and, and there's good prices and you're getting rid of, uh, you're hearing the same thing in the, in the dairy side of things, um, just less animals all the way around. And, and I think that's what's continued to help prop up those uh, those uh, cattle contracts and as you get up into the 23 contracts, look at the February, the April, um, you know, 154, 155 plus. I think that look's got to stick around until we have a better idea, uh, you know, about demand either being curtailed uh, or animals coming back up. Post-Easter, what are your thoughts on what we might see within these livestock? 
It, you know, we've continued to see a lot of knee-jerk reactions with the feeder cattle. Um, still some enthusiasm on the cash side of things. I think people are still going to be there. I think it's going to provide a decent base for the market around that, uh, you know, lower 150 uh, you know, price levels. And depending on what weather does here for this corn market, obviously you're going to see a lot of back and forth there. Um, but long-term, the back month feeders, I mean, they could still have some upside here as long as we don't wreck demand first and as long as corn's not going to $10. Uh, in the meantime, I think you're just going to see a lot of volatility. And for the live cattle in general, uh, it, you know, once again, we've got pretty good demand. We're heading into the summer months, uh, but it's going to be really hard to sustain. I think price rallies in that June contract much above 140, 142 uh, with, with an amount of numbers that we have on. And I think there's still a little bit of uh, you know, this uh, bird flu and PED talk you know, coming too. I mean, it's just tailwinds in general for these proteins or at least a floor in, in them for now unless we start wrecking demand because of COVID or something else. All right. Real quick here. What's the, what's the optimism um, from the customers and growers that you're talking to? The time of year. <laughs> you know, I think guys are, are looking forward to getting in the field. Um, granted, a lot of the stressors, you know, that, that are affecting people now aren't going to go away. Uh, but it's a lot easier to, to look at, uh, you know, through the, the windshield of a tractor than looking at the news and seeing what's going on there every day. Very much so. What is the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Sam? 800-655-3380 or www.corbettmarketing.com. Sam Hudson's been joining us today, and uh, you can check this out, by the way, as a podcast through our website at ruralradionetwork.com. Wherever you subscribe, that's in Google Play and on the iTunes store as well. And as always, a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss that might not be suitable for all investors. That's the Monday version of the Fontenelle Final Bell, brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.